All right. Well, again, I'm really glad that we can gather together in this place today. I know it's one of those days when people are traveling. And if you are here today, I would like to catch you up just real quick on what we're doing and what we're talking about uh, here at Riverside. We're in the middle of this series uh, called This Is Us. And here's the the real simple idea. Um, We want to talk about what does it mean to be the church? Who, Who are we and who are we called to be by God as a church in this place And I want to start today with just this really simple, but really honest and truthful idea. And I know we've said it here before, but we probably don't say it enough. So I want to say it again today, that in this room, at this church, here at Riverside, we are perfectly imperfect. Can I get an amen? (laughs) We are perfectly imperfect. Um, I know sometimes, especially at church, we try to give the illusion that we have it all together, that we have it all figured out, that our lives are great and we're all fine and things are going well. But the truth is, that's not always the case. And I don't even mind telling you that I am perfectly imperfect, that I don't have it all together, that sometimes my life isn't the way it should be. And I've got my ups and I've got my downs. And if you came and you were to walk in my shoes for a day, you would see the times I got it right and the times that I didn't. Because... This is just the way it is. I, 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 know, I know sometimes we try to say that it's not, but this is the reality. We're human. We're broken. We're, we get it wrong sometimes. We mess up sometimes. We say things we shouldn't. We think things we shouldn't. We do things we shouldn't. And we are just perfectly imperfect. We don't have it all together, and things aren't always going just fine. And for those of us, who claim to follow Jesus in the room, it, it raises a really hard question for us. And even if we're honest, this is the reason that some people that don't, don't, don't follow Jesus or don't go to church, this, this is the reason why. Because for those of us who do know him and claim to follow him, uh, what do we do with this reality, right? There's a tension here. How do we claim and tell others that we are followers of Jesus and that we are believers in God, and yet the evidence of our lives sometimes suggests the opposite? How do we let the love of Christ, the grace of Christ, the goodness of Christ shine through our lives and so many times in our own lives, our behavior, the things that we do and say don't line up with the teachings of Jesus? That's a, that's a tension. And I think sometimes we have to just own up to it and say, yeah, you're right. It's a real tension for us. How do we let the love and the light of Jesus shine through our lives when we realize that we are so broken and sometimes so far from him? Part of what I want to do in this series is have what I call a this is us moment each week where I invite one of our members up to say, hey, this is who I am, my family is, and also to speak into the idea for the day. And so this morning, I want to invite my friend Tim Shepard up. Tim, I saw you this morning. You're somewhere in the room. There he is. Some of you know Tim. And uh, he's going to get a hug from his daughter first, a little moral support. There we go. Thank you, Ashley. And uh, Tim, if you don't know Tim, Tim uh, is, I guess in some ways, was one of my first friends at Riverside. Because before I even moved here, when the word got out that I was, uh, me and my family were coming, I got, a, I got a, a message from Tim on Facebook saying, Hey, I know you don't know me, but when you get here, I'm going to help you move in. So just tell me when, and uh, I'll show up and help you unload. So Tim, thanks for coming and being up here this morning. Tim and I talked last week, here's your uh, microphone, Tim, on Friday, and I told him after we got done that I wish we could have just recorded that conversation, because it was so good and so full of truth, and I hope this morning as we share and try to recapture some of that, you'll hear 
once again, um, some of what God put on our hearts on Friday over, over coffee and tea. Tim, if you would, though, just start by telling everybody, those who don't know you, a little bit about yourself, your family, who you are, where you come from. All right, yeah. Um, so back in um, 2010, um, a lot of economic things were happening back in California where we came from. I'll be a little closer to you. First. And uh, so... Uh, we, uh, we decided to move out to uh, Texas. Uh, Susan's originally from a little town called Earth uh, up north. And uh, so we decided to come out here. And uh, as we did, I'd always gone to my parents' church uh, after I became a Christian in 1997. Uh, and we wanted to do something different. So we did a lot of praying. We did a lot of searching. And we had uh, gone and looked at a lot of different churches in, in, in that summer and we came here, and what was funny is we missed, I think, two or three weeks because we were off uh, looking at other churches, and we came back here again, and, and uh, some really nice folks said, hey, we missed you so bad. Uh, and so this became, for the last seven years, this has been our home, and couldn't imagine a, a better place to be. <laughs> Let's try this mic, Tim, and if you would, yeah, hold it real close so they can sure. pick you up Sorry better. No, thank better? you. That's better. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. So, I, I, yeah. So basically, yeah. I mean, I mean, we did a lot of prayer to get here, and and just we really felt God led us here. We've been here for the last seven years, so it's been amazing. So, Tim, one of the things I love about you is um, is you're 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 an open book. You're transparent about your life, and uh, and I love I love watching you worship. I love uh, talking to you and hearing you talk about how you love God and how you love Christ. Um, one of the things I just wanted you to speak into was just this tension of how do we let Christ shine through our lives um, when we're fully aware that we're perfectly imperfect and we don't have it all together? How do we let, how do we let Christ shine through that brokenness? Okay. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's difficult to tread because, I mean, it's, um, you know, uh, with my particular past. Uh, but um, essentially, you got to think about it like this. You know, you squeeze an orange... And orange juice comes out. You squeeze an apple, apple juice is going to come out. Well, when you squeeze a Christian, Jesus should come out. But unfortunately, all too often, um, you know, anger, bitterness, you name it, comes out. And it doesn't even mean that you have to have, you know, be perfect about it. But essentially, what I've always thought about with, with the whole situation, I, I've learned a lot over the last years. I, if those of you who know, I've been involved with Silver Recovery for four years. Um, and I really help a lot of people in a lot of different ways. In fact, my wife and I were teaching new people this last Monday uh, just to come on in. But it's, it's, it's a matter of, I think all too often, we as Christians, we think we have to be perfect. We have to walk this perfect walk. We have to, especially come in here, you come through those doors, and then bam, the mask comes on. And it's like, you know, everything's just fine. And you got this whole thing going on. And I'm not saying we have to air our dirty laundry and show everybody the dirty laundry, but at the same time, we've got to realize that, you know what, you're coming into, and this is only one part of your week, you're coming into a place of love, and you're coming into a place where everybody around you, everybody you're sitting next to, has gone through the same kind of stuff that you've gone through. And it may not be exact, and it may not be the same thing, but we all have a hurt inside. And so if we have sin against us, we sometimes will in turn sin out of that out of that hurt. You know, you you know you, you corner you corner an animal and they're going to bite back. You know, that's the way it is. If we're hurt. We're going to hurt back. Um, and so I think with that nature, 
I think what we've got to do is we've got to, go, we've got to realize um, it's, a, it's an identity thing. And Jesus loves us so very, very much. And we only scratch the surface on that, I think, too often. And it's not even a matter of go home and read your Bible and pray. That is very important. But it's more along the lines of spend time and listen to him. Really let him speak to you. And it takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of time. But it's worth the effort. I mean, even if you're just driving to work in your car and you pop in a, a Bible CD and you just ask him and you say, look, open up my eyes, open up my heart, reveal it to me. Because um, the Bible's really meant for our hearts. It's meant for our souls. And it's God speaking to us and saying, hey, it's okay. I know things seem bad. I know things seem imperfect. I know right now you feel guilt, shame, and condemnation, but that's from the devil. I love you. Jesus loves us so incredibly much. And it's hard for, for, for people to take hold of that and accept that. And the thing is, is that every single day in life, when you get distracted, when you feel something is not right, and you feel like, oh, I'm not good enough, that's a lie. That's out and out life from hell. You are good enough. You are more than good enough. You are dearly and wonderfully loved by the Father every single day. One of the things that popped out to me <clears throat> about two years ago is not only did we study uh, a group of us that went to leadership training for Celebrate Recovery, not only did we actually study Luke 15, we lived it out. We walked it out, every little part of Luke 15. And here's the thing. My father saw me when I was completely evil, when I thought nothing of anything else but myself, when I was deliberately hurting people in various parts of my life. He saw that, me at my ugliest, me at my worst. He saw me like there, and he ran out of his wonderful house, and he ran down that road, and he embraced me. And he hugged me, and he brought me in. When Adam and Eve sinned, we were talking about this, <laughs> this one thing popped in my head. When Adam and Eve sinned, when they plucked that fruit from that tree, God didn't say, what did you do, and was a vengeful mm -hmm. God. God was wandering around the garden going, hey, where are you? He needs that relationship with us. And we need that relationship with him. And it's intimate, and it's beautiful. And it's a one-on-one -on -one thing that we have to do every day of the week. And the thing is, is that when that develops, Jesus is this thing that's got to come out of you. And it, we, we spend too much time talking about evangelizing and going through. And those, those are wonderful things. Those are great things. There's great outlets for all sorts of stuff. Those are great programs. But at the end of the day, it's a matter of Jesus loves me in a way that I never thought was possible. And you get deeper into that, and that comes out naturally. And eventually you get to the point to where a stranger, you go up to him and say, Hey, man, Jesus loves you. I decided to tell you that today. I hope you have a great day. And it's all that takes. You don't even have to say Jesus loves you per se at first if you're not comfortable with that. But just enough to know that you care a little bit. A handshake is all it takes you know, but that's going to come out, and it, it just takes a little time and a little effort on your part, but it's not a whole, it's not all up to me, it's not, it's just a matter of every day, I just surrender a little bit more, and surrender a little bit more, and it's daily struggle, and I mean, I live it out every single day, and, and, and you know, Holy Spirit convicts me, and it's like, <sighs> I made a mistake, I have to immediately say I made a mistake, I have to immediately confess that to God, and say, look, I'm sorry, but then I, I understand too, it's not a matter of just of just that. It's realizing where I'm at, my identity, the fact that I'm not a sinner. I'm a forgiven person. I'm a person who's under the grace and the mercy of the Most High God. I'm the son of the King. You're a son and a daughter of the King who loves you 
tremendously. And his head over heels in love with you every single day of the week. He wants to be with you, not just here. He wants to be with you at home. He wants to be with you at work. He wants to be with you at the park, at the store, at the bank, wherever you go. He wants to be with you pumping gas. So you kind of get that thing of everywhere you go, every place you do, everything, you know, where you're living life, Jesus is with you and needs to come out. Because he doesn't want to just love you. He wants to love everybody around you. And it's not exclusive. And it's just a matter. And I think all too long we've gone through all this process of thinking that there's a way that we've got to do things. And that's not it. Let him in and let him have his way. And it's just, it's, it's amazing. And it's been like that with me for a long time. And that's what I'm striving to be is just getting that deeper and more involved. So Tim, that that's exciting. what I love about you is it's obvious. If you spend any time with Tim, you'll see not only how much he loves God, but how much he feels loved by God. And, and Tim, I'm thankful, thankful for that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing with us, man. I really do appreciate it. It's a, you know, it's one thing to, um, to know something intellectually uh, as true, uh, that God loves you, but it's another thing to experience it uh, firsthand. Uh, some of you know this, there are parents in the room. Uh, you, you, you can believe in the love of God and that he loves you as a son or as a daughter, as Tim said, but then when you have a child and you're sitting there with that child and despite all they've done that day to drive you nuts, at the end of that day, you look at them with love, you know. You know something that you couldn't have known any other way, that you love them. And that's just a shadow of how much God loves you and me. Only if you've ever done this, uh, you know, one of the things that we do sometimes just in conversation, I hear it come up from time to time, is you sit around and you start telling stories. And some of those stories, some of the funniest stories sometimes are, um, are those stories of scars. So how many of you have scars on your body, things that, you know, happened, you've got a story behind it, you know, and, and you can start telling stories. You start trying to one-up each other with scar stories. You know, I, I've, I've got some of these, but I don't have any good ones. All of you could, could trump me. I have to make up ones to make them better than they are. You know, um, I mean, I've got this, you know, scar I've shared before, you know, my ear from when I tried to tackle a kid twice my size in youth group football, and he bit my ear off. Bloody nasty story. I've got the scar on my chin from when I was playing basketball in the backyard with my dad, and he says I fell. I say he pushed me, and I hit a stump, and, you know, it was terrible. Um, you know, I, there's this, the story of when I got my first pocket knife for Christmas, and I was trying to open another Christmas gift, and then that knife went through it into my leg. Um, you know, I've got some scar stories, but you probably have better scar stories. And what's interesting is that we, we love to share stories like this. And then we love to, to not only share these kinds of stories, but we do this with our lives, too. And so we sit around, and we start talking about, about those stories, right? But it becomes obvious pretty soon that sometimes there's scar stories. Tim's got scar stories, stories of his past, stories of things that happened in his life. They're scar stories because they've healed over. But a lot of times you start telling these kinds of stories and it becomes pretty obvious pretty quickly. They're not scar stories because they're still fresh. There's still an open wound there. There's still a hurt there that's very Real. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but what happens so many times when we start telling these kinds of stories about pain in our life or hurt in our past, is what happens is we begin to spew out hate and hurt and resentment. And you won't believe what he did. Oh, did you hear what she did to me? 
You know what my husband did last night? You know what, you know what my wife did yesterday? You know what my company did? You know, what my, you know what my boss said? You know what happened with my friends? And we start telling stories and we realize pretty quickly we're the main character in those stories. And in all those stories, they all in the same way. We're the victim and something has been committed against us. And it makes me think about, especially as, as I reflect on this idea of us being perfectly imperfect, and I sit with friends like Tim, and I think about our past, and I think about our hurt, and I think about our scars, and I think about our pain. What do we speak of when we speak of our pain? And who is the headline story? Who is the headline character in the story of our lives? Is it us? Should it be us? Or is it different for those of us who believe in Jesus. Here's what you need to know. When the church started some 2,000 years ago, it it began much like this church began. It began with a bunch of people, a bunch of real people with real problems, believing in a real God, except for the first time they were believing in a real Jesus, the Son of God, who we believe died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. And they started trying to do their lives according to this the teachings of this man named Jesus. They, they were called you know, uh, followers of the way. They were called members of a church, members of one body of Christ. And they came together, but they were real people with real problems trying to follow a real God, believing in a real Jesus. And then this guy named Paul, who started some of these churches and had relationships with other churches, started writing these letters. And if you open your Bible to the New Testament, you'll find some of these, the collection of letters. And they're all correctional teachings to ancient churches who were going through some real problems and dealing with some real stuff. And it's pretty obvious as you read them how broken these churches were and how broken these people were. And I want you to hear today just a few words from this guy, Paul, who wrote to this church in the ancient city of Corinth. And I want you to hear what he said when he talked about brokenness. So if you have your Bible or a Bible app, if you want to turn that on to 2 Corinthians, open up to chapter 4. We'll start in verse 7. Paul said this. He said, we now have this light shining in our hearts. We. Now Paul's talking about himself and others that are with him, but he's also talking about all of us who are believers in Jesus, followers of the way, all of us who believe Jesus is who he says he is, all of us who've been baptized, all of us who are following, all of us who are disciples of Jesus. We have, we possess, it is within our possession, it's within our grasp, within our reach. We have this light. What is the light? It's Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He does what every light does. He shines because that's what light does. You can't contain it. You really can't explain it, but it's just true. Light, Jesus, when he's in you, he shines. He sh- and it's obvious. We have this light. Those of us who believe in Jesus, believe he is who he says he is, we have this light shining in our hearts. We have this light shining in our hearts. But we, ourselves, well, we're kind of like this. Paul's like, how can I describe it? Let me, let me, let me go this route. We're kind of like fragile clay jars. Now, I know wish, uh, some of you wish he would have said, we're like, you know, a Humvee. We're like indestructible. We're like a rock. We're like a mountain. We're like something immovable and shakable. No. He compared you and me to fragile clay jars, things that are easily broken, dinged up, broken to pieces, things that when they fall, they crack. That's what we're like. We have this majestic light, which is Jesus. We have literally the Son of God, like, inside of us, shining in our hearts. But the container of that, we ourselves, man, we're, yeah, we're like fragile clay jars. 
We're easily broken. We get dinged up and bent up real quick. And when something happens, all too often our lives become broken and they fall apart. This is what happens. We pretend to be strong. We pretend to have it all together. But the reality is we don't. But what's so amazing about this is that even though we're like fragile clay jars, even though we're, we're, we're easily broken, easily cracked, we easily fall apart, basically, even though we're a bunch of cracked up pots, we contain this great treasure. And if you're anything like me, this is what just takes your breath away. That even though we, we're fully aware of our brokenness, we're fully aware of our temper. We're fully aware of the lies we've told and that we will tell. We're fully aware of the times we haven't got it all right. We're fully aware of the times we failed people that we love. We're fully aware of the times we let people down. But even in spite of all that, even though we are just like fragile clay jars, we contain this incredible treasure. And it's Jesus. It's Jesus. I don't know if you're like me, you don't feel worthy of that. And you don't really feel like even that is possible, even if you've studied it, even if intellectually you know it, even if you went to like, you know, Bible college and took the classes and have the degree. When you just stop and think about the reality of that truth, it takes your breath away that, that Jesus, in his humility, has taken up residence in your heart and in your life. He lives in me. He lives in my brother Tim. He lives in you. For those of us who are believers in Jesus, this is, this is the truth. You have Jesus inside of you. This fragile Jake clay jar contains Jesus. And this is what happens. This makes it clear. This makes it obvious. This makes it beyond all doubt. That our great power, any power that is within us, is from God. It's not from ourselves. So when we pray and things happen, that's not us. That's God. When we gather together in this place and, and, and the earth shakes and things happen that we can't explain, that's not us. That's God. When we lean in together and we hope against hope for something to happen and change, and it does, that's not us. That's God. The great power that is inside of us, it's obvious this is why we love those stories, those then-God stories of when we lean in together, we pray together, we give together, and we see great things happen, and we see lives changed, and we say, that's obvious. That great power, that was, that was all God. Even in our brokenness, God, Christ, can do incredible things through us. And because of Jesus, here's what he says, verse 8. We are pressed on every side by troubles. We're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. He won't ever abandon you. We get knocked down. That happens every day, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that, get this, underline this, the life of Jesus may also be seen in our so this is what happens because life is going to come against you. Life is going to come against me. Storms are going to come. Floods are going to rise. But what people see when that happens, it, what they see in the believers of Jesus around us, is they see Jesus. It's like my brother Tim just said, when you squeeze that orange, orange juice comes out, when a Christian gets squeezed, they see Jesus come out. 
This is what happens for those of us who are believers in Jesus. The promise of Jesus, the promise of God was never that you're going to be protected from calamity. You're never going to be protected from tragedy. It's that when it does happen, when it does come, when the storms come, when the floods rise, that God won't abandon you. That you're never alone. You don't have to go it alone. It's a better promise because you literally have the God of the universe with you. You literally have Jesus, the risen Christ, inside of you. Inside of that broken clay jar that is your life. Have you ever heard of kent sugi? You know this? Japanese art form? Uh, it's an incredible deal. Um, Kintsugi is literally uh, this art uh, that, that, that I guess began, you know, thousands of years ago. As the story goes, I have to read his name to get it right, this Japanese military commander, Ashikaga Yoshimasa. I've been practicing that all week. <laughs> Ashikaga Yoshimasa had this beautiful Chinese tea bowl that it, it, it was his treasure. But it it fell and it broke into pieces. And so what did he do? He sent it back from Japan all the way to China for them to repair it. Because he loved it so much it was a prized, priceless possession. Well, they sent it back to Japan, to Ashikaga. And the way they mended it was they used these big, bulky, ugly metal staples to kind of put it back together. And he got it and he was like, ugh, what is that? And so he tasked his Japanese artisans and craftsmen with, the, with the, the job of finding a way, a better way to mend and to repair things like this to make them beautiful again. And what they came up with was kintsugi, literally golden joinery. It's the art of taking lacquer and mixing it or dusting it with gold and using it to put broken pieces of pottery or ceramics back together again. And as this art form started taking over, what happened was people, you know, when, when, when priceless pieces we cracked or destroyed, they would put them back together with kintsugi, and they became even more valuable and more beautiful in the eyes of those who owned them. And, and what was even crazier is people began breaking things on purpose so they could then repair them to make them more beautiful than they'd ever been before. And when you look at these broken pieces of pottery, these broken, broken pieces of clay and ceramics, you see the lines, you see the fractures, you see where they were broken apart, but then where they were put back together and how they are more beautiful than they ever were before. And I think, I think this is a little bit like what Christ does in our lives. Because what happened was whenever a bowl or a priceless treasure got broken, that wasn't the end of its life. Far from it. It was able to be repaired, and repair always, by the way, requires transformation. We pray and we talk about transformation in this church a lot. God, make us more like you. Well, guess what? Transformation happens when you undergo repair. Repair requires transformation. And when those things got put back together, they became more beautiful than they had ever been before. I think this is what God does in your life, in my life, when our lives are broken. When whatever it is happens, God has the power and the ability to put our lives back together. And when he does, here's the trick, is it can be more beautiful than ever before if, if, if you and I will allow people to see the beauty of what God has done. Here's what happens. God does this because this is what God does. He puts 
broken things back together again. He makes beauty of ashes. He does all that kind of stuff. You've seen it. I've seen it. You've experienced it. I've experienced it. But then we come to church and we like throw a blanket over it because we don't want anyone to see the fracture lines in our lives. We're afraid if you see where our lives are broken and cracked that you'll judge us. But what those lines tell are a story of what God has done. What those lines tell are evidence of God's work in our lives. And if we can stop covering up the pain and covering up the fracture lines and covering up the brokenness and allowing people to see the beauty of what God has done in our lives. If, when we tell those stories of past hurts and past pains, if instead of making us the headline character of that story, if we will make God the headline character of that story, what happens is it becomes a story of something, not not that, that was just broken, but something that was beautifully broken. Because God, we know this, we say this, makes all things right. He makes all things new. And that brokenness doesn't mean that your life was done. No. It's just a part of the story. It's a part of your redemption story. It's how God worked in an incredible way to put you back together and to use you and to share your story. Here's the thing. When you share that story, when you share the story of your hurt and your pain, but you tell the story of what God has done, you open the door for others to experience that same healing of Christ. And this is the reality We have this treasure in these clay, fragile jars, and they're broken and cracked. And what what does that mean? I got good news for you. If you feel like your jar is pretty cracked up this morning, that that means more light can radiate out, okay? Now, I'm not saying go out and smash your life today, but I am saying that if your life has been broken, that that is just more opportunity for Jesus to shine through. And it's a beautiful thing when the light of Christ shines in and through our lives for all to see because when the light of Christ is in you, the light of Christ shines through you. And so the challenge for you and me this week, and this is a big challenge, show someone your lines. Show someone your lines. Share with someone where you've been broken before. Tell them the story of when your marriage was on the rocks, when your kids were far from home, or when the job went haywire, when finances were crazy, and you weren't sure if things were going to work out. But don't make yourself the headline character of that story. Share the story of what God did in your life. Show someone your lines. And tell them the story of what God has done. Let the light of Christ shine in you, and let the light of Christ shine through you. And by the way, if you're in the middle this morning, if you're in the middle of a broken moment in your life, can I encourage you? Look to Christ to be the one to put the broken pieces of your life back together again. Let him be your healer. Let him be the one. Let him be the one. Church, if you would, let's let's stand together. Some of you know the story, but after Jesus rose from the grave, he began to appear to different people, and some of those people were some of his closest friends and followers, his disciples. One of those disciples was named Thomas. And the first time Jesus appeared to his disciples, Thomas wasn't there. I don't know where he was, out getting a breakfast burrito or something. He missed it. But he came back, and Jesus came again. And when Thomas saw Jesus, you remember what he said? Show me your scars. And Jesus showed Thomas where the nails had gone through his hands, where the spear had gone into his side. 
And Thomas saw the scars of Jesus. But what he never forget, what he never forgot, was the light. The light of Christ that was shining through the holes in his hands. I can tell you, when, when you show people your scars and they see the light of Christ shining through, they have a chance to encounter and experience Jesus in a way unlike anything they've ever had before. That's why when people like Tim sit down with other people who are struggling with addiction and past problems, and they share with them their story and what they tell is a story of Christ shining through those scars, people's lives change. And as a church, we can do this. We can go into our city, our school, our job, our homes this week, and we can say, yeah, I've got those same scars. But let me tell you what Jesus did. Because we're broken. Let's just admit that. We're perfectly imperfect. But we have the light of Christ shining in this fragile clay jar. This is us. We're real people, real problems, believing in a real God. Though when we speak of our pain and brokenness, what we speak of is Christ. So we're going to sing a song, and like we do every week, I'm going to ask our elders and their wives to make their way around the room. And and this morning, you need to know, we're starting from the assumption that no one in here has got it all together. So there's no judgment. We're all perfectly imperfect. We're all broken. We get that. That's where Jesus started. That's where we start. We're We're all cracked pots. And if you're at a point in your life where you need someone to pray over the brokenness of your life, they would love to do that. If you want to enter into this life of following Jesus and step into these waters of baptism behind me and make him your Lord and Savior, we would love to help you with that. The cool thing about that is that the Bible says you get a brand new clay jar. Now, you're going to break it, so don't get too excited. But you get a brand new one. You become a new creation. And if we can help you with that, come find me, come find one of them, and just express that same desire. And we'll help you this way, this morning. This week, may we go out, and from the brokenness of our lives, may we let the light of Christ shine. Let's sing.